The SPAC boom continues, and crypto is getting creamed. I'm Ryan, that's Brian, and these are your investment headlines from the last seven days. Headline number one, crypto is getting creamed in a good way. All right, so last week we talked about, and Brian, you had actually mentioned this, uh, of a quote of about crypto was going to get creamed uh, because Bitcoin may be uh, banned, and there may be some fud going on related to Bitcoin. And that was my it was my dad who said that we're they're going to get cream. Yes, I wasn't going to call him out again, but if, if you want to, uh, so but was that like an actual term? Like people were saying cream. I thought that was just like an old time word that he used. I was, I was quoting him. I I've oh, not heard anyone okay. else say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so so since then. In this last week, because of all the FUD that was going on, and and for those that don't know, FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt, I, I use that term a lot and I forget. Some people don't know what that means. Fear, uncertainty, doubt, FUD. Um, since that has made headlines, there's been some clarifications uh, in some high up places from important people. So I thought it'd be important to touch on some of the headlines making um, the round this week in terms of the clarifications that are happening. So first of all, the SEC commissioner, uh, Hester Pierce, Hester Pierce, yes, is she uh, clarified, she said the government would be foolish to try and ban Bitcoin. And she said that to, to basically do that, you'd have to shut down the entire internet. And so sometimes Ooh. people call Hester Pierce crypto mom because she has, she has often been friendly to the crypto side of things but the, the fact is she has a point uh you know you'd have to be foolish to try and ban bitcoin because how in the world are you going to stop it really you're just going to stop the good people from using it and bad people who are already doing illegal activity are going to still use it anyways and so that was the sec commissioner's uh stance on bitcoin is you'd be foolish to try and ban it uh, india if you remember, a couple weeks back, we talked about how India was planning on uh, trying to pass some legislation that would ban Bitcoin as well. Well, since then, the Minister of State Finance Ministry, but this person uh, clarified that the, the country, India, <clears throat> is all uh, uh, focused on digitizing the country and clarified that a crypto ban would actually go against that stance of digitizing the country. And so it seems a lot less likely that they will in fact ban Bitcoin because that would be taking steps backwards in India's pursuit of becoming a digitized country. And mm. so it's seeming a lot less likely that that legislation will actually pass uh, out of fear that it would actually set the country back in terms of technology. And so uh, the clarification there was that the Indian government is trying to keep an open mind regarding Bitcoin and crypto in general. So two uh, important people in governmental positions in different countries clarifying some stances on the banning of Bitcoin. There was a couple other things here. Um, famous uh, venture capitalist Peter Thiel, billionaire, he made some interesting comments uh, about how he thought that China was using Bitcoin as a financial weapon against the U.S. dollar. And so he's leaning more into the side of, you know, China's using uh, 
geopolitical warfare tactics with Bitcoin, trying to dominate the space, uh, this digital space that the U.S. is struggling in. And so a lot of people, uh, including P Peter Thiel kind of referenced this, but a lot of other people have taken these comments to say, this is why the U.S. cannot ban Bitcoin, because we'll be giving up this weapon that we could be using ourselves, you know, this, this reserve asset, this global reserve asset, um, we'd be giving up uh, any kind of um, competition to our potential uh, foe countries, other countries, and surrendering to them so that they can dominate this digital space. I thought that was an interesting uh, uh, hmm. comment on the use of Bitcoin as a geopolitical weapon. And uh, Peter Thiel is pro-Bitcoin, and so I assume his comments were hope hopefully geared towards legislatures, uh, legislators realizing that uh, banning Bitcoin could set us back in terms of the geopolitical sphere, which I had not even considered. I think a lot of people hadn't even thought about. So, like, it, in order to be a weapon for China to use against us, wouldn't they actually have to own Bitcoin? Like, do, does China own it? Yeah, and that's what's a little confusing from his comments, because uh, I believe China has actually banned some aspects of Bitcoin. I think you're not allowed to transact, I believe, Bitcoin in China. I'm not 100% sure on mm. that. But China is the dominant country for Bitcoin mining. Oh. And a lot of Bitcoin mining happens in China uh, because China subsidizes uh, energy costs and there's some favorable energy prices there. So a lot of companies will actually go to China to mine Bitcoin. So in that sense, China actually has a very strong uh, position in Bitcoin because of a strong influence in Bitcoin because of all those miners. Um, and so, and, and then China also has their own digital currency. So I think that's also part of it too. You know, China's uh, releasing their own virtual currency that the U.S. is way behind on. So I, I think he's kind of combining these ideas together to say that. I know this is against probably everything about crypto and especially against the Bitcoin maximalists but is there any world that you can see that governments would regulate or ban Bitcoin but not cryptocurrency? Mm. That's an interesting uh, thought. I, and, and I can totally see that. It would depend on the purpose of banning Bitcoin. Um, you know, if you're banning it because it's not energy efficient, it's not ecologically friendly, those kind of issues, you know, maybe... I could see governments trying to ban it um, and then not banning other crypto because they're much more energy efficient. But in general, I think that's viewed as if Bitcoin gets banned, crypto is getting thrown under the bus as well. It's, it's kind of hard to ban one and not the other. Right, right. But the thing with that is a lot of companies are building on Ethereum, as we've talked about in the past. Other cryptocurrencies, they're using other cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, Walmart is using... Uh, crypto for their supply chain management and uh, you know so there's mm. a lot of companies that would be affected by a ban on other cryptocurrencies bitcoin is a little less um, influential in terms of the utility but a lot of companies are also using uh, or holding bitcoin as a reserve asset uh, and and now a lot of companies are trying to pay their you know employees in bitcoin and all these things so it would definitely have a huge ripple effect at this point on companies to ban Bitcoin, and I think it would affect how people view crypto in general. 
but at the same time, mm. the U.S. is not at the center of a decentralized network. And so just because the U.S. just tries to ban Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies will still exist and thrive outside of the U.S. And, and along those lines, Goldman Sachs, uh, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon also commented on cryptocurrency. And he said that he predicts that there's going to be a big evolution coming in regards to crypto regulation uh, that would really benefit the community and really benefit the markets of crypto. Um, he, he sees some very favorable regulations coming down the road because they are seeing increasing demands from their clients to have some kind of crypto-related product. And uh, so they're feeling the pressure from their clients. And you know that when these big banks are feeling the pressure, you have to think that the big banks have some kind of influence on the regulations that happen. And so we'll see how these regulations uh, come down as he's predicting the big evolution of regulations in the near future. Headline number two. Elon Musk asks Kathy Wood a question. I, I love, hold on. I love how that phrase can be a headline. Someone <laughs> is asking someone a question. Right. <laughs> but it's relevant. It, it involves our two favorite people on here, right? Exactly. This is, yeah, our, you... this is our Musk Wood segment. <laughs> we have to have at least one of them mentioned. And if you get two of them, that's even better. Yeah, so. right. So as you know... Kathy Wood, the legendary fund manager, yes. she she's a huge investor in Tesla, right? And she's believed in the company for years, and Tesla's stock performance is one of the reasons for her success today. Well, last week, Kathy Wood tweeted out one of their most recent podcast episodes, and Elon responded to that tweet and asked her, quote, what do you think of the unusually high ratio of the S&P market cap to GDP? Does that mean anything to you, Ryan? Um, Are you familiar with that that ratio he's talking about? I'm not, no. Okay. So there's this thing called the Warren Buffett indicator. Oh, okay. I've heard of that. Okay. Yeah. So it's named after kind of or is referred to Warren Buffett because it's his favorite indicator, Warren Buffett's favorite indicator. Okay. And, and uh, basically, the way you measure it is taking the U.S. stock market capitalization and you divide it by the GDP, and it gives you like a percentage, right? And uh, he said it's the, quote, the best single measure of where valuations stand at any given moment. That's what Warren Buffett mm. said. So in terms of if something's overvalued or undervalued yeah, in relation to exactly. the, the, the prices compared to the GDP. Yeah, and specifically, we're looking at like the overall market of the S and P five hundred, right? Okay. Kind of like the macro view, and so it's supposed to be like around like eighty, ninety percent. I think is kind of like the where it's more fair market value, you know. Hmm. And if it's under that, it's the market's undervalued, and if it's over that, then it's overvalued. And so in the dot com bubble, it was a hundred and fifty percent. Oh wow. And then guess where it is today, Ryan? Do you think it's higher or lower than that? Mm, I'm going to take the over. Okay. (laughs) How much more? Uh, 200%. 
that's that's what I last time I checked. Yeah, it was it was over well above two hundred percent. Wow, uh, so around there, so almost double what it probably should be, and I think it's no surprise. You know, obviously the, you know, the market's been pretty hot, uh, and so if one of the greatest investors of all time says this ind- indicator gives us a pretty good idea of where we're at as far as valuations go. Mm. It's you know, it's probably important to pay attention to it every once in a while. So it's interesting to see Elon, arguably the greatest CEO currently, <laughs> asking Kathy Wood, which is like the quote Warren Buffett of our day, you know, mm. and he's asking her about this indicator. And initially I think she like gave just like a short response and just said, "Oh, let me l- let my team and I like come back with a better response for you, basically." Um, and so she says, so she came back a few days later and she said, "Here's like just a couple of different quotes from what she said." In the late 1800s and early 1900s, as telephone, electricity, and the automobile were emerging, the U.S. market cap relative to GDP appears to have been two to three times higher than it is today. Whoa. As deflation pressured an increasingly difficult-to-measure nominal GDP, exponential unit growth and rapid productivity gains increased the quality of earnings while low interest rates boosted their capitalization. The technologically enabled innovation evolving today dwarfs that of the 1800s to early 1900s, Genomic sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology. Moreover, Bitcoin could be today. <laughs> Bitcoin could be today's gold standard, increasing purchasing power. So I thought it was interesting that uh, she brought up technology like blockchain and you know AI and how it's deflationary yeah. and how that makes calculating GDP difficult. And we just barely went over deflation in our podcast just a few weeks ago and how, you know, technology is deflationary. And and so what do you what do you think, Ryan? Is she is, do you think this metric, do you think she's right that it's not really necessarily relevant right now? Or maybe we're in a kind of a unique situation where it's different this time. Or do you think it will eventually revert back to the mean and we're just highly overvalued right now? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting response. The direction that she took that question, like when I hear her say, uh, "Let me let, let's take a few days and we'll discuss <laughs> with my team," I'm like, "What?" But but okay. no, they come up with a very interesting. Uh, it sounds like they came up, had a very interesting response to that. Um, yeah, I I think it's an interesting take. Um, I I don't know enough about this indicator, but I would say that uh, you know Warren Buffett was an incredible investor. But, you know, things are changing and I don't necessarily agree with everything that Warren Buffett is saying now. I feel like some of the things he is saying is outdated and obviously I could be wrong and he's a he's a genius and I I shouldn't be saying anything against him. But 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 what Kathy Woods is saying here is I think more of what is reflective of what we're seeing uh, in the markets today in terms of tech and how it's affecting um, our economy, you know, and that deflationary effect that we're seeing. Totally. I know I'm torn because I hate that, that phrase. It's different this time, you yeah, know, yeah. things that used to work doesn't work anymore. You know, all that just kind of like 
makes me cringe a little bit. Sure. And especially when people, you know, Warren Buffett has historically been like the most like poked, you know, made fun of investor at the times that everybody was like, Oh, you're wrong. You're wrong. And then all of a sudden he's right. And everybody's like, looks really stupid. So he's kind of like the master of that. So I kind of like, I'm torn because like, I feel kind of that way when these conversations happen, but at the same time, like you had mentioned, like (laughs) there is some very, very different, you know, it's a very different environment that we're going through right now. Like, interest rates have been in a downward trend over the last you know several decades and so that is a very Mm -hmm. different experience it was probably you know in the 30s 40s 50s you know and so anyway it's just a very difficult thing to predict because of all the different moving factors that are involved yeah and 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 are are we putting words into Warren Buffett's mouth? Like, has he actually commented on his indicator? Like, we're just we're just reading this indicator to pretend like as if he is saying that uh, he believes it's way overvalued. Has he? Do you know if he's commented on his indicator and what his indicator is saying right now? That's a that's a really good point, actually. So, <laughs> I was kind of being a little misleading, even though he was heard that was a, a, a quote from him that he thinks it's one of the best indicators. He actually did kind of walk it back a little bit uh, years later, I guess, and just said there isn't really one indicator that is a perfect indicator. You know, he just said that's one of the the best ones he's seen, you know, in in the past. So it's not what he said. He didn't say that recently, this quote. No, no. Yeah, it's just one of those things like over the years. Gotcha. It's kind of it's worked. You know, when you look at when that happens, you know, when it gets up that high, you typically see Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway build massive amounts of cash Hmm. and that's what they've done right now they have so much cash and usually when that happens it's because they're waiting for things to collapse so they can swoop in there and pick them up you know pennies on the dollar basically gotcha so he so he may not fully believe that it that the indicator fully applies to today's markets either he may not Um, i mean he's kind of showing that he is gearing up for things to cool off because mm-hmm. of how much cash he's stockpiled so he's kind of i guess sticking the you know staying the 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 course uh, sure. that he usually does but i think he's even said recently d- depending on how interest rates pan out because if they stay low forever then i think he even admits that that's not the best uh indicator to use but it just really depends on where interest rates go and what our economy does, but okay. Also, uh, about Elon Musk, is this another example of him uh, trying to? You know, it's like it's like a repeat of his tweet where he said uh, Tesla stock price is overvalued or something. Is this like another way of him saying that it's overvalued is by questioning if if things aren't being valued properly? Maybe. Well, he's he's uh, been kind of known for questioning valuations for lots of different things yeah like you said his own stock yeah and i think didn't he say something about bitcoin bitcoin yes he or did ethereum one time yeah i think it's bitcoin yeah it was over, like, overpriced yeah so he he's been saying a lot of that stuff and so this obviously insinuates that he thinks that things are overvalued right asking that question um, or at least he's thinking about it right so it's interesting that he's so involved in trying to evaluate, you know, 
where where things are at uh, in the market. Hmm. Headline number three: Bitcoin and crypto ETFs are coming to the USA. Maybe. So, all right. So th- this has been uh, uh, something going on for years. People, uh, companies have tried to submit ETFs for Bitcoin uh, and uh, mostly Bitcoin. And the SEC has mostly just tried to ignore these applications, hoping that crypto would go away. You know, it's one of those annoying little little siblings that if you just ignore them, they'll 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 just go away. But uh, crypto is getting to a point where you can't just ignore it anymore. With a t- over a two trillion dollar market cap, like you talked about last week, and there the um, the active applications for Bitcoin ETFs is piling up right now. So much that the SEC has declared that they are officially, uh, they've officially decided to review these applications for Bitcoin ETFs. And so there's currently eight, I believe, uh, eight active applications in the U.S. And there's a lot of pressure because other countries like Canada, for example, have several Bitcoin ETFs that are doing really well. And so it puts additional pressure on the U.S. to, to not fall behind on this kind of um, you know opportunity for investing, and I think this would be huge for the market if there are some Bitcoin ETFs, because one of the biggest issues that I have with investing in crypto is you will always leave out a certain sector of investor because of the technical barrier, the barrier oh, yeah. of entry to to trading in crypto is real. And if you can have some kind of ETF, some kind of easy access for investors to invest into Bitcoin but not have to worry about custody of the Bitcoin or transacting with Bitcoin or having the digital wallets or the private keys or dealing with any of that, you could just have exposure directly to Bitcoin through an ETF. Uh, you know, I, I, I just imagine this would be huge for the market in general to have something like this. Yeah, I mean, think about, I don't know how long... Uh, like the GLD ETF, you know, gold ETF has been around or, or silver SLV, but you got to imagine like not everybody's going to buy physical gold and silver, but they'll easily click a button and buy gold and silver through the ETF, you know? And so it's, I'm sure it's had an impact on the market cap total of gold and silver and other precious metals that are in ETF. So yeah, I could see this being huge for, for Bitcoin. Yeah, for sure. And, and not just Bitcoin. I mean, you talk about uh, this. This obviously will expand to other crypto, too. It, it, it starts with Bitcoin. But usually when people get into Bitcoin, they realize that there's more out there. There's more available that cryptocurrencies offer, like Ethereum, like Polkadot. Um, I think right now there's like some kind of exchange-traded product over in Europe where Polkadot is one of the most uh, popular um, products over there to invest in. Uh, and so it's not just Bitcoin that'll be, you know, benefit from this kind of exposure. Um, there's some, uh, I guess you're, you're familiar with Barron's, Brian. The, is, yeah. is, it like a, is it a magazine, a journal? I don't even know what. Yeah, I think it's like a, yeah, they write articles and stuff. So Barron's had this uh, front page uh, exposure of Bitcoin. I think they're talking about Bitcoin's potential ETF that's in the work. And there's just a lot of exposure right now, uh, a lot of hype for this kind of product, this kind of investing vehicle coming to the market, both on the traditional finance side of things, but then also on the crypto side of things, this could be huge 
to get all this easy, you know, easy access money investing into the space. Headline number four, the housing boom meets Google Trends. So according to a CNBC article, Google reported that the search, quote, when is the housing market going to crash? <laughs> it spiked 2,450% in Ooh. the past month. In the past month. And, yeah. And the, the, the Google search, why is the market so hot? It doubled in one week. <laughs> and how much over asking price should I offer on a home 2021? That hmm. jumped 350% during that same week. So <laughs> this is obviously during a time that we're seeing house prices skyrocket, mm -hmm. right? You know, I think I saw something like home prices are up over 10% in a year, which is the most since 2006. And obviously we know what happened, you know, a few years later after that. But uh, And at the start of April... Uh, you know, of this month, 42% of homes were selling for more than their asking price. Oh. So almost half of homes were selling for more than they, what they're asking for, which is up 16% over the past year. Wow. And so some, some people say this isn't a bubble. Some people say that it is. So my question for you, Ryan what should you do if you're a millennial or Gen Zer, and you've been, you've been saving for several years to buy a house, and, and now that your savings is significantly less impactful? I mean, what do you do? Like, I'm fortunate that we we own a townhome, but I know that you guys are looking to buy a home at some point, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you what do you guys think you're gonna do? Are you gonna like buy into the market at this level, or are you gonna like try to continue to save? Like. It can't stay like this forever, right? Yeah. Interesting question. Before we get to that, I wanted to address the first question, the first Google the, uh, search that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to figure out if that's pessimistic or optimistic. <laughs> what is it again? When will the... When is the housing market going to crash? Yes. When is it going to crash? And, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I could see that being both optimistic and pessimistic. Yeah. It, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, a crash would be good. If I'm waiting to buy into the housing market, but obviously if you're a right. homeowner um, or looking to sell it, that's obviously pessimistic. So to answer your question, you know, I don't know that that's obviously something that's that's heavily on my mind. Uh, when can I enter this market? And luckily for me, I'm in a situation where I'm not in a rush to uh, yeah. to enter the housing market because this kind of these kind of uh, speed of increase won't last forever. There's no way this can last forever. No, it's kind of yeah. insane uh, rates increasing of, of these um, of, of house of houses. And so so for me, this is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to get into investing because of this. What did you say? 10 percent, 16 percent increases in prices. Yeah, I, I have to find a way to increase my my own wealth that's outpacing the housing market so that if I'm saving money. I'm at least getting closer to buying a house. Whereas if I was just keeping it in fiat, if I was just keeping it in, you know, in a bank account, I would be getting further away from being able to yeah. buy a house. And so that's kind of my, my, my mentality. Um, you know, with crypto, I have a lot of those, um, you know, lending accounts where I'm earning 
you know, 8%, 12% per year just on these savings accounts. And so just from that alone, I'm hoping to get ahead or stay ahead of the um, housing prices. Um, but, but then also investing in general. It, it's, it, that, that's kind of what investing uh, provides as an opportunity, is a way to get ahead of this kind of <laughs> price increase. I just, I can't even imagine, like, imagine if you have, like, $40,000 that you've saved for, you know, to try to put 20% down in a small house or something like that. And I think over the last, like, two or three years, our home has increased by, like, I don't know, like 30, 40%, like over $100,000 in value. Yeah. Like, now your 40000 that you've saved is, like, I can't even do the math, but it's now worth probably almost half of what it was before. So now you're only putting down maybe 10 to 12% down, right? Mm. It's just crazy. Headline number five, major crypto exchanges are getting noticed. All right. So this is coming out. We're recording this uh, on the eve of Coinbase's direct listing, which is, which will be listed on Wednesday, April 14th. And so for Coinbase, for those that don't know, Coinbase is uh, one of the major cryptocurrency exchanges, uh, especially here in the U.S., and it has received a huge valuation. Um, I don't remember. I think last I saw it was around $100 billion, $180 billion, something like that. Um, and so the, the listing price uh, is predicted to be around $250 to start with, and uh, b- but already people are trading... Coinbase uh, futures um, for six hundred dollars a share. Oh my god! So we'll we'll see what happens. There's obviously a lot of people thinking this is this is going to be a stock that really pops, given the current market of uh, of cryptocurrency. Oh yeah, uh, I'm 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 a little more skeptical. I really? Yeah, and I'm and I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I am going to want to wait until the price drops a little bit before I buy in. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. not going to be fighting over people to buy in. Uh, I, I do want to buy in, but I think it, I'm going to have to wait a couple days maybe to see if the price comes down a bit and then buy in. I um, I, I think it's going to be like Snowflake where it's going to have a huge pop. It's going to be worth, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, maybe maybe two, three hundred billion dollars, and then give it like a month, two, three months, it'll significantly drop, I think. Mm. Maybe maybe drop down to like the hundred billion range. But that's that's it seems like that's how they usually go, is that they get so much hype and FOMO and then people start taking some profits. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it'll be interesting interesting to see what happens. Either way, it's significant news for uh, cryptocurrencies in general um, to have such a, a large exchange being listed. Um, and so, you know, we'll see what happens. In the wake of this announcement, Kraken is also an exchange. They announced that they will be doing their own uh, initial public offering, I think they said next really? year. And huh. so I feel like they're kind of missing out on all this buzz now. I mean, now I think is the best time that Coinbase could be uh, oh, listing. Yeah. And uh, you, you imagine if they went public like 
December of 2017. Yeah, when everything was crashing down. Oh, exactly. That'd be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Versus right now, it's all time high. It just broke out. You know, it. This is a. This is perfect timing. I mean, huge revenues because of that. I mean, they they posted their quarterly earnings and it was just massive. Yeah, this is this is a perfect time for them. Um, I, and so anyway, so other exchanges are going to be following. Uh, I know the Winklevoss twins. I don't know if you know who who they are. I, I oh, only yeah, yeah. I only know them from the movie Social Network. They were the <laughs> ones who had the kind of idea. They gave Mark Zuckerberg the yeah. idea of Facebook. Anyways, they have their own exchange called Gemini. And yeah, I've heard of that. There's one, been yeah. word that Gemini is going to be listing uh, as well in the near future. So you know, this is this is kind of a, a milestone uh, to have such a large crypto uh, company being listed, and we'll see what kind of trail they blaze in the coming weeks ahead if anything in my opinion <clears throat> so sometimes when you have all these different ipos and direct listings and things like that it, it's flooding the market with new stock right mm -hmm. so it's some people consider that like oversupply right so if you have an oversupply in any kind of market usually prices have to fall right mm. uh and so if anything, I think this could be bad for the overall stock market, not necessarily for the overall crypto market. Uh, I don't know what people are thinking is going to happen to Bitcoin and other cryptos during this time, but I would imagine that, you know, a lot of times there's only so much liquidity. And so if you have to sell other stocks and buy into these hot IPOs, you know, and, and uh, direct listings like, Coinbase, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a hundred billion dollars. Where's that? Where's that going to come from? You know, or if it's two, three hundred billion, like, is this going to be coming from cash on the sidelines? Like, or is it hmm. going to be selling some out of some other different assets to get into it? So it'll be interesting. By the time you, you know, our audience listens to this, they'll probably have an idea of what happened. But right, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the overall stock market and how it reacts to uh, this uh, this direct listing. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, it, also, another thing to note, I mean, these this with direct listings, they're not generating, um, you know, new stocks. These are stocks that, these are shares that people already have. And so it all depends on how many of them decide to sell their shares versus uh. hold on to their shares. And so it, it, direct listings also create this kind of crunch of uh, liquidity in terms of how many shares are actually being sold. And yeah. so that's another interesting to look for. I think there's 114 million. I think I saw shares or something like that. Um, anyway, and so it'd be interesting to see how many actually are selling their shares versus wanting to hold on and what, how that affects the volatility of the price. Headline number six, the SPAC boom continues on or does it? Ooh. <laughs> so here's a crazy statistic. Well, before I get into the statistic, Ryan, I know we had some 2021 predictions, right? Yes, we did. And I think one of your predictions or, or over-unders, I think, that you uh, posed to me was something to do with SPACs, right? Do you remember what that was? I do, yes. Uh, I believe I had said uh, over-under of $100 billion raised through SPACs this year because that was the combined uh, amount of money raised in the last two years combined yeah okay so 100 so billion dollars this year so here's a crazy statistic for you and and, so and i'm pretty sure you took the over if i remember correctly yeah you for sure did. took the over yes yeah 
2020, so about 250 companies went public via SPACs, uh, which we've, you know, we've talked about SPACs and what they are in our podcast. So go check out our episode if you haven't already. But uh, so 250 SPACs last year, which was like a, it was a groundbreaking year. I think it was, you know, it broke all sorts of, you know, milestones for it's been years since it's gotten that high, right? Mm-hmm. So this year, so far, through three months, guess how many SPACs we've had? 200. <laughs> we've had over 300. Whoa! And it's only April. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so we've already been done the over, and it's, you know, just a quarter of the way through the year. I think, uh, what, what did you say, The uh, how many billions of dollars were raised 100 last billion. year? Oh, last, last year was eighty two billion. Eighty two billion. So I think so far in twenty twenty one it's like eighty four billion or something like that. So okay. we've already, already passed last over. Year. Yeah, it's already passed. So it's on fire. You know, it's it's going like crazy. But it could be facing some hurdles. So the SEC has been speaking out a lot lately about the risks of SPACs. And if you haven't noticed, a lot of these SPAC deals, you know, have just you know, exploded. Uh, they just have gotten annihilated. Um, mm. If you look at some of their stocks, uh, you know, look at the prices. I think the SPAC ETF that came out like back in October. Oh, yeah. You know, since tech kind of uh, broke down last month, it's still down like 25, 30%, I think. Ooh. And so it's not looking great. And a lot of these big companies that, you know, came public through SPACs are just. <laughs> You know, they they've some of them are down like 80, 90 percent, you know, like CCIV, which is like the Lucid Motors one. Like that one went crazy and just all of a sudden I think it's down like 70, 80 percent. Whoa. And so so the SEC has been speaking out a lot lately about some of the risks and they actually have been raising some questions about the accounting uh, with SPACs. So I'm not like an accountant or anything like that. So. I don't understand all the things, but apparently with some of like the warrants in, in the accounting with that and how it could be like a an asset or a liability on the books, they're they're raising some questions on like how it should be accounted for, and so it it could cause some hiccups with some of the momentum in certain spacs, which I mean, in honesty, like probably should have a little bit of you know <laughs> some slowdown. Because at this pace, like it's it's kind of scary how many specs are coming out. Like you hear about some of these celebrities that are coming out this with specs. Like some of the ones. Have you heard of any of these? Like these celebrities? No. So I think uh, A Rod. You know Alex Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. He uh-huh. he's coming out with one. I think he was seeking to raise like five hundred million dollars. Um, who else? I think I heard Shaquille O'Neal was doing one. Steph Curry. All these, uh, all these athletes. Yeah, so much money. Gra- yeah, Grammy Award-winning musician Ciara. I don't know who that is. I'm not super into music, but yeah. anyway, so there's a bunch of like celebrities going out there and saying like, "Oh, join my SPAC," you know. And it's like free money, basically, you know. But ultimately we know this where this is going right i mean there's so many oh we just talked about oversupply uh i think kathy wood said there's 
too much money chasing, you know, basically low quality SPACs. Um, and there's, you know, there's not very uh, enough of really good SPACs. And so I could just feel this one coming that it's not going to end very well. Um, and especially if the SEC starts stepping in and, and putting the kibosh on some of this stuff. And remind me, the appeal of a SPAC is that it's a lot easier. Like there's a lot less, um, that needs to happen. Yeah. It's, it's easier for the yeah, it's easier for the companies to go public that way. Right. Um, and if you're an investor, I think most of the time when you're just throwing cash into it, into a SPAC, and let's say that they don't find a deal, you know, an acquisition target, uh, this the SPAC company or whatever, then you just get your money back, right? Uh, okay. Uh, and so it, right. it's kind of a low risk for if you can get in and hmm. – Anyway, but it, there's obviously risks to it. It's not as straightforward as it seems, I, I would imagine. But, but yeah, it's become very, very popular over the last couple of years. Um, and <laughs> who knows what will break? You know, the the straw that breaks the camel's back. But it might it might be coming. Wow, that just just making my over under prediction look silly there. Hundred billion. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fool's Gold podcast. If you'd like more Fool's Gold content, check us out on the socials. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Fool's Gold. That's G-O-A-L-E-D. But until next time, Brian, I'll talk to you later. See you later.